I'm Judith Selby Lang. I'm Richard Lang. And we're here together in our home studio in Forest Knolls. And we've just had love for breakfast. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I'm Stacy Messerschmidt, host of Love for Breakfast, and I could not have asked for a better intro. Since 1999, Richard and Judith have been collecting plastic washed up on Kehoe Beach in Point Reyes National Seashore in Northern California. I am sitting here in their living room on a very cold morning. They are snuggled up in their warm furry hats and scarves, cozy on their couch as they share their love for art, life, and the pursuit of the mysterious next plastic piece. That's actually how we start our day. Every day is I crawl in and uh, snuggle Yeah, but up. I get up at 3, and I'm up for a couple hours. And then Judith comes and tucks me back in for another couple hours. Well, it's because those early morning hours are really for the artist and for us personally one of the most productive, imaginative times, uh, going back and forth kind of between the dream world and the daily world and uh, navigating that in a very uh, kind of slow and careful way, thoughtful way, uh, that includes uh, much of what's on our bedside stand, reading material. I find that if when I wake in the, in the night that um, I'll kind of uh, take up a book of poetry or some really thoughtful uh, essay and use that as fuel for my next, sort of what I call the second sleep. Now this sleep cycle thing is pretty interesting in and of its own. You fall asleep and then many people uh, wake up in the night and they think of it as insomnia or have uh, frustration and difficulty with it and they fight against it but we've both found that that can that we go with it if you wake up mm. you get up you don't necessarily get up but you use that in a really productive way it's a different part of the brain that's active and he's got a journal or I have a little notepad and writing things down thoughts and ideas um, and just using that time to, to the best effect. And then there's what's called the second sleep, when you fall asleep again, and that can be a very uh, dream-infused time. Uh, from the thoughts that went on during the waking time, somehow that gets, for me, real active. And a lot of, kind of you might say, problem-solving, uh, resolving things, and then um, makes the day so much better. I need more dreams like that. <laughs> well, you do. They're rare. So as I awoke this morning, I was reminded of a wonderful passage by Rumi. And I'm going to just read this now because it, it was, uh, it's a good reminder. Today, like every other day, we wake up empty and frightened. Don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. So it's with that spirit, let the beauty we love be what we do. I, I would say that that's almost the byline for our daily lives and our creative lives and what we bring to our practice, beach plastic and otherwise. 
I asked them how they talk about their artwork and if they could share their process in curating and sharing it with others. Uh, when we talk about our project publicly, um, one of the first things we mention is that uh, the idea that it was not B-52s loaded with napalm that took down the Berlin Wall. It was blue jeans and rock and roll style and joie de vivre. This is what changes the world. And we want when people encounter our artwork, when they see it somewhere, maybe even unexpected, not because much of our work is not in a typical art museum or gallery situation. It might be in a public place or as I say, someplace unexpected. We want them to be curious about it, be entranced by it, be uh, engaged with it and move closer to it and then discover, oh my gosh, maybe that's, that's plastic debris. Oh my gosh, that's garbage from the beach. And then step closer to it again and go, oh my goodness, maybe that was once my toothbrush and then have this personal connection to something. So we want to spark in people that uh, engagement and we've discovered that the best way to do that is with beauty and with love. That we've all had enough of the bad news, we've had enough of the difficulties and uh, it's not a motivating factor. So and how can we not fall into a pit of despair? Some days we go to the beach and it's a mess. There is plastic washed up everywhere, and all of it points to the reckless use of material, disposable culture, the use it and toss it away mentality, and uh, it, it, it is easy to think about despair. And yet we, we create games for ourselves, and uh, have fun in the finding and just marvel at some of the amazing things that wash up and we know they've been out at sea for so long that there's barnacles and stuff growing on them. They've been out there for years and then it finally, it finally washed up for us to find and then we, we get to tell the story about it. And one of the great pleasures is bringing something home and doing some internet research and this little pair of glasses that we found on the beach. The little pair of glasses. Would you like to hear the story of the little pair of glasses? <laughs> so we found a little pair of sunglasses on the beach, um, about the width of a quarter. And what are these? So doing research, we discovered that it's from a doll called a Bratz doll, B-R-A-T-Z. And the American Psychiatric Association has found that these dolls are more damaging to a girl's self-image than anything ever produced because the dolls look like street walkers. They have um, giant platform heels and fishnet stockings and overblown lips and um, they're very cute. Barbie on steroids, let's Barbie, not forget that. Barbie, Barbie on steroids. steroids. And um, speaking of Barbie, the Bratz doll has been um, in a court battle with Barbie for uh, the last 11 years um, for a product infringement. And uh, we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with that. But um, anyway, it's so fascinating to find this one little piece of plastic that becomes a holographic pinpoint to describe the whole culture.
Right. And uh, one could grow bitter. And I think your interest in not in us not being political is part of that because we certainly don't want bitterness. Um, uh, we have enough of that. Uh, but well, we, we want. Oh, go ahead. Uh, what we do have, and the the most um, the most powerful por- force on the human side of the planet is curiosity. What is that little tiny? blue speck of plastic that's just poking out of the vastness of the sand and you bend over and you pick it up and out pulls this little tiny pair of sunglasses. It's, it's thrilling. It's thrilling and it's what keeps us going back again and again. Always, we always go to the same 1,000 yards of one beach. We've done it hundreds of times. It keeps us going back because we never know on any day what is it going to be today, what's going to be the find. And I must say, we're very competitive in our collecting practice. No, Judith is competitive. No, you. No, I've no, given, I've no, given yeah, up long no, ago. No, no, There's no, no competition here. <laughs> we have categories. What's the most, the hardest to see, meaning it could be that's exactly the same color of the sand or it's ensnarled in the kelp so you can't see it, or it's tucked under a piece of driftwood. So that's difficulty in finding. Then we have rarity. Is it the only one of that particular thing that we've ever found? And... Is it beautiful? Is it beautiful, yeah. Yeah. And of course, because everything on this planet is beautiful, if you allow it to be, if you have love for breakfast, I was so curious on how they met. I asked Richard to tell me the story. I don't know if I've mentioned it yet, but um, I ran a collaborative printmaking studio in San Francisco, and Judith came in to do a project, and there were some pictures of Kehoe Beach lying on the conference table from the last meeting, and Judith said, gee, that's beautiful, where is that? And I said, you've never been there, have you? And that was my voice bubble. And the thought bubble was, you've never been there, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I hadn't been there. (laughs) So uh, we made a date. And uh, so we had our first date at Kehoe Beach. And uh, Judith picks up a piece of plastic and I say, gee, are you going to keep that? And then... He picks up a piece of plastic and I say, oh my God, are you going to keep that? (laughs) And on that... In that remarkable aha moment, we discovered that three years prior to that fateful moment, we each had been collecting plastic and making artwork out of it. I was collecting in a different beach. Richard had been collecting there at Kehoe Beach. And uh, it was just one of those meant-to-be moments to find another person find your mate (laughs) to find your mate a person on the planet that liked picking up plastic pollution trash and making artwork out of it i mean what are the chances of that pretty slim pretty Pretty slim pretty Pretty slim no i think it's common and quotidian oh well of course you would Anyway, it was our lucky day. It only has to happen once. Yeah, <laughs> lucky day. And then since we were both in the art world already, we very soon thereafter got invited uh, to uh, be in an exhibition. So we decided right away to join forces and to make 
a piece of artwork from our first collectings from the beach. And then a fight broke out. Yeah. Well, we had collected the, the first most obvious category were plastic lids. And we had quite a, quite a bin full of and lids bushel, of all colors. Bushel basket, bushel full, basket of full of them. And so we started fooling around how are we going to arrange them, how are we going to arrange them. How, and that's when the fight ensued. Yes. Like, you're going to do that? And I said, you're going to do that? What did you want to make with it? What did, what did Judith, what did you want to do with well, the plastic Well, just the first thing was just stacking them like concentric circles. That was already quite okay. amazing because they uh, are all different colors, all different sizes, and they uh, would make little tower, little stacked towers of what I thought was pretty intriguing just in and of themselves. So should that be an abstract arrangement or should it be uh, organized by more like rainbow succession of colors there's a lot of considerations even just with the stacking and then we finally um, because the two of us had been at work as studio artists for 30 years before we ever met um, there was a well-defined territory of having found our voice and any artist will tell you, any art, any writer, dancer, anyone who's in the creative field will tell you that the hardest thing is to find your own individual voice. Um, what's true to you because we live in a blur of uh, other people doing stuff. So once you've found that and um, you really want to elbow anyone else out yeah, except me, except me. But anyway, but but in, that's exactly true. But how we resolve this? Oh right, and your how it, because your idea was building the towers or these sculptures, and you wanted to do. What did you want to do with it? Um, I said, let's make a memorial of our time at the beach. How are we going to do that? And that that thought, coupled with the lo the uh, site where this this first, really our first piece was going to be exhibited was at the Marin Community Foundation in their conference room. So quite an esteemed organization and quite a prominent location. And we thought, I don't know, simultaneously or somehow we came to, we need to create a trophy, a trophy fish to hang on this wall. It would be awesome. So we started to work on making a trophy fish. And then a fight broke out. Fight. <laughs> another fight. And another fight. Fight number three forty-eight. Um, I mean, that's that's part of it. Um, uh, well, it ended up being beautiful. I it ended up being beautiful, other. and it held the space really well. It's about eight feet long, and it looks like one of those trophy. You know, when these people go fishing down in Baja or something, and they mount this enormous fish on their wall, which is always quite horrific, but we have one that's just made out of plastic from the beach. It looks pretty good. It does look pretty good. Yeah. Um, and after we finished that, we made a decision that we're not going to make things that look like other things. This was really a clear, a clear moment in the whole progression that um, why make this stuff look like something that it's not. We will dedicate ourselves to showing the stuff as it is, as close as we can to the, 
to the material. And around that time, uh, in the printmaking business, uh, we bought a really uh, dandy camera that makes a 130 megapixel file. So um, it's a, uh, anyone who's in the digital business goes, oh wow, when they hear that, because it's uh, a massive, massive file. But what it does is it really captures the detail. But anyway, as we, um, we had this camera, and we were wondering, let's see how it works. We're figuring it out. And so we need something colorful and we need something uh, that could demonstrate its depth of field. And so I had some plastic in my car and we just threw that on the camera stand and took a picture of it. And then we had this other aha moment that, wow, this stuff is beautiful if you photograph it properly. Yes, and for artists to... Uh, it was one of those revelations that this is an amazing. The color is so vibrant. And we uh, now describe our process like putting, uh, using the bits of plastic as if we're putting brush strokes, uh, individual brush strokes on the canvas. We were just recently in Bend, Oregon. We did a workshop. We uh, did our PowerPoint and then we had Bend, uh, Oregon a, at the design conference. The, right, design conference. So imagine a 10-foot round table with a black tablecloth. Ten people sitting around that table. In the middle of the table is a pile of plastic of all color, shape, sizes. Just a mountain of this plastic. And we don't even have to really give people a nudge. We just... Uh, invite them to begin to create. And it's astonishing what happens. Either as individuals, they'll start picking up their favorite pieces and making arrangements, or they'll partner up with the person sitting next to them. Or in one case, an entire table did a collaborative piece where they went around the circle and each person added one piece around and around they went until they made an ensemble. So these different approaches, just how people uh, interact with the plastic is always a, a miracle to see. You give people the same stuff, but every response is its own individual response. And, and one of the things that we um, set out as a parameter for this particular project is um, this plastic belongs to us. You cannot have it. And so what we encourage people to do is take pictures of it, which is what we do in our practice. Take pictures of it, and then it does not go back into the waste stream. It stays uh, in our care. And so we gather up, if we do a workshop like this, we gather it all up and take it home with us. And uh, that sets a different parameter for people. They don't get possessive about it. Um, it's just the stuff of the world. It's more also about the creative process. So they can make an arrangement, they can photograph it, they can make another arrangement, they can photograph it. And there's no attachment so much of, oh, I have to make the perfect thing. It's just a part of the creative flow process. And that's refreshing for people. People really like that. I asked Richard to share of any places locally that people could go and experience their work in person. Well, if you stay at the local Cavallo Point Lodge, which is just under the Golden Gate Bridge, it's a pretty magnificent place to stay. And there's a Michelin-starred restaurant there. I think it still has it. 
we were commissioned to do an artwork for every room, every of the, each of the 140 rooms in the lodge uh, has our artwork in it. People don't know that we have artwork in every guest accommodation there, and some friends just stayed That's pretty and, amazing. and discovered How some fun. of our work. It's very <laughs> fun. Uh, the Oakland Museum, we have a, a large uh, permanent installation there in conjunction with um, Cordell Bank is an off coast, just off the coast. It's a marine preserve, and um, the Oakland Museum has a large natural sciences section to it, and they have devoted a room-size installation talking about plastic pollution, and for that we created a uh, a ceiling treatment like a chandelier using hundreds of single-use water bottles. And the light that casts through those bottles creates a, a like an underwater look of shadows on the on the floor and on the on the furniture there. And we have um, it's a popular field trip destination, so we have workbooks and activities for kids to come and think about plastic in their everyday lives. At the Marine Mammal Center, um, they called us up and said, we have 450 pounds of ghost netting, which is fishing net that gets loose. And we have this ghost netting that we found in the belly of a sperm whale. And um, when we cut the whale open to find out how it had died, this spilled out. And we have it. Would you like it? They said to us. And so we, um, we made uh, a monster out of it that's, um, that both delights and terrifies children. Um, which and raise awareness at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Raise awareness. So there's this giant uh, nine-foot-tall monster. monster in the courtyard at the Marine Mammal Center. And thanks to the uh, Design Museum in Zurich, we have been uh, participants in a uh, traveling exhibition. I think it's in its fourth year now. And uh, it all packs into uh, a container, a large railroad freight container. And our portion of the exhibit is focused on a thing called Nurdles or Mermaid Tears. And these are the very tiniest pre-production plastic pellets that we find on beaches everywhere. So we provided for the, the Zurich Museum uh, photographs, enlarged, m hundreds of times enlarged photographs of these tiny bits of plastic. And then we um, have a sand table tray with the tiny pieces of plastic in it so kids can hunt and do kind of a hunt and search for the plastic. The trope is that plastic is here forever. Right. Um, but it does break down and get smaller and smaller and um, and it becomes what's called microplastics, little tiny pieces where uh, and that is very pernicious and dead, deadly to us and all living things. Maybe imagine the size of a, a piece of glitter, for example, that, that small. And when people talk about going out and cleaning it up, 
the impossibility comes ever closer when you think about, well, it's one thing to pick up pieces of plastic from the beach that can go in your duffel bag and carry them home, but what do we do about these very, very tiny pieces of plastic? Impossible. One of the great joys of this beach plastic project and a thing that I want, I express gratitude for every day is the uh, remarkable people that we've met along the way. It is really, unfortunately, beach plastic is an international phenomena and there are artists everywhere on the planet that are collecting plastic and making remarkable artwork out of it. And because of the internet and modern technology, we have become connected to our kindred spirits across the globe. And it feels um, its own reward to be a part of this tremendous community. And I'm deeply grateful. I think uh, one, of the, one of the human attributes that's not talked about a lot is the sense of having good work to do. And I am grateful for having this work to do that's compelling and uh, pretty consuming when, um, when you get right down to it. It's something that I can always turn to. Gets you up in the morning. Definitely. This is my gratitude part, not yours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, excuse me. You guys are so much fun. I love you guys. <laughs> I'm grateful for you, honey. <laughs> really well said and I busted in. Go yeah, ahead. you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss this later yeah. in camera. <laughs> uh, one of the human attributes that everyone wants is the sense of competence and to be able to um, have a bit of work to do that makes sense in this world. And whether you're a woodway worker or a stockbroker, it doesn't matter if you're really good at what you do. It's got um, it's got a deep fulfilling sense that uh, that makes you feel like a person. And I'm really grateful for that to have meaningful work. Um, otherwise, why get up and have breakfast? I have to say, it summarizes it pretty well. What this whole podcast is about is following your passion and doing what you love every day. If this encourages anybody, then it's done what it's supposed to do. It definitely encourages me every day just doing it, and I couldn't have had a better first podcast guest. I'm grateful, and thank you, Richard and Judith, for being a part of it. And you can check out more of beachplastic.com and read about Judith and Richard's adventures, see some videos, some backstory on some of their pieces, and especially all of the plastic art that they are creating and the photographs are just incredible. I want love for breakfast. Thank you for listening to the Love for Breakfast podcast. You can find out more information at loveforbreakfast.com or follow us on Instagram at I want love for breakfast.